Hello, and welcome to Inside the Euros. I'm Rick Sharma, and I'm not prepared at all for this pod. I'm winging it today. But aren't we all, Gibbo? We are indeed, but I think we're all in a good mood. That's right, and we've also got Joe Casnelli back after his Copenhagen stint. He's in Munich behind enemy lines to watch England's win in a German beer garden. I've survived, I'm home, I'm safe somehow. I mean, where else to start but England 2, Germany nil at Wembley. What do we make of it then? Is that the best ever result for England in our lifetimes at a major tournament? For me, I reckon it might well be the case. Yeah, it's quite a strange one because I like I I went so I went to a beer garden. I watched England versus Germany and then Ukraine versus Sweden, and I kind of came away thinking Ukraine versus Sweden was the best of game. It's a bit strange, but that might have just been the fact that it was raining sideways in Munich for basically all of the England game. So, yeah, so that's got to think. It's got a bit of a, a bit of a part to play. Technically speaking, it's probably the best result of our lifetime. But Germany are just trash, aren't they? They're, just, they're not very good. <laughs> I mean, okay, they've got really they one to eleven. They've got an amazing team, but you have to think that the way they play, the way they're set up, they're not very good. I was at all three Germany games in the group stage, and none of those games convinced me. Yeah, they beat they beat Portugal four two. Then they drew with hung, Hungary two two, and like Hungary were much much better than them. They're just like the. The way they're set up by Love is not it's not very good and they're just pretty trash and at the end of the day England exploited exploited that and they did they did what they need to do. But I don't think being this Germany team is necessarily what being a Germany team of old might have been. Yeah, that's absolutely fair fair comment. I think Joachim Love has done a terrible job. With this Germany team over the last few years, I should have gone after the 2018 World Cup, should have left his post, didn't, still stayed in charge. And, and, and despite the fact they've got really, really good players, like you say, Joe, on paper, that 1-11 to lineup is, is strong. That's a very strong lineup, as good as England's, I would say. But the management, not even that Southgate is a, is a great manager himself, but I think England's managed the game better it was closer than perhaps the 2-0 scoreline indicates. Both teams more or less had two good chances. I think Germany had two chances through Timo Werner and Thomas Müller, and they missed both of them. And England scored both their good chances through Raheem Sterling and then Harry Kane. Yeah, so one of the strange things about this, tour- about this tournament is that how good Raheem Sterling has been compared to his Manchester City form. I think we need to... We all need to all need to acknowledge that Raheem Sterling has been incredible this tournament for England, and then Harry Kane, on the other hand, has necessarily transferred his club form into into his international form. However, tonight he scored the goal; he was in the right place at the right time. But if Thomas Muller had have scored that chance, and obviously it's you know if my auntie had if my auntie had balls and blah blah blah. <laughs> Lewis and Rico like to say if my auntie had wheels, she'd be a bicycle. Exactly, you know, he's maybe a bit more eloquent than I am, but if Thomas <laughs> Muller had have scored that goal in the eighty odd minute, I think Germany probably would have won. 
it's running through running through and goal. He's got an absolute thing to strike at and he misses the target. I thought he'd hit the post at first. I was watching it, I thought he'd hit the post, but he's miles away. What on earth is he doing? So you've got to say, you know Until it had gone past the post, I thought I thought it was going in. I still think it's going in. I've seen the replays and uh, it's you know what, I I generally think that is the Gascoy miss from Euro ninety six in extra time. That's a German version of it of it there. I, I generally still don't know how he's not scored. Massive moment in the game. And I agree with Joe. I think that if, if he scores that, Germany probably have the momentum. The players almost out of muscle memory rather than anything else, certainly not than, than Luff's coaching, would probably go on and, and win like Joe suggests. But Harry Kane got the second and it, it was a, a strange goal. I, I, was, I couldn't be too critical of him because he scored. So there's nothing you can say other than great header. But I was really, at the time I thought, why is he heading that? When it looked like it was going to come to Sterling just to tap in at the back post, but he got it in, so fair play to him. Yeah, so I thought that that was... When the cross came in from Grealish, first of all, I was like, "What? why is Grealish putting in the ball in that area? However, having seen it on the replay, it's an incredible header. It's such a good header. The ball's behind him. He manages to arc his neck back and get it in towards towards the right area and obviously it beats Manuel Neuer so it's a fantastic it's a fantastic piece of work from him and you've got to say you know Kane who hadn't been that good going into this game yeah he did a job like in the first half he probably should have scored when Hummel somehow made that tackle on him however he justified his place in the side he scored a header against Germany he's the captain and Ultimately, this could maybe be the catalyst for him. I mean, you've also got to factor in the fact that England play against the Ukraine in their next game and Harry Kane will probably have a lot easier against Ukraine than he's had against the opponents so far. So maybe that was just the introduction he needed to Euros and you know he's finding his feet slowly but surely. Yeah, I, I, I thought England changed the game when Grealish came on. Grealish definitely brought that spark, brought what everyone probably wanted to see from the start of the game. Um, the first 20 minutes, it was a bit, wasn't wasn't great. I think they were still finding, both sides were finding the feet as we, as we spoke about. So England grew into the game. I didn't probably hit full, full throttle, but again, did enough just to get through. And may, maybe, do we dare to say they are starting to slowly peak at the right time. Interesting, interesting. I, I think that you might be right with that, that England are improving. They improved a little bit against the Czech Republic from the Scotland game and they improved again a little bit today given the standard of the opposition at least. I think that Gareth Southgate is being justified in some of the decisions that everyone has been criticising him for, including us, including me especially. I, I, you know, I wouldn't have lined up with the team Southgate lined up with today. I would have liked to see perhaps... Well, I mean, I'd love to see Jadon Sancho in there, but I wouldn't have picked Jadon Sancho today just simply because he hasn't played in this tournament. So it's kind of, I would have played Sancho earlier in the tournament. You know, he just had a few minutes off the bench against the Czech Republic. That's it. So he could have been really, really good against that German defence, ripped into into Hummels, as we've heard about from Archie on the pod when he came on, and the kind of guy that would give a, a scare to Germany at the back. And I was, I was worried about that, that England weren't going to capitalise 
when they were 1-0 up and they were just going to leave Kane up front and not have any pace other than Sterling up there to try and get the second goal. In the end, it didn't matter because it was a great cross as Joe says from Grealish and Kane actually was the guy who scored that goal. So, you know, fair play to Gareth Southgate. And England sail on through to the quarterfinals. And how good was it to have the fans back in the stadium? I think there was 43,000 back in Wembley. They were the 12th man. They really helped England. And now I think the real test is England going to Rome. They haven't played anyone outside of Wembley. So it could be a tough test. And let's not rule out Ukraine. Yeah, let's not write them off. This is the first quarterfinal they have reached in their history. They won 2-1 against Sweden today in extra time. Dove Bix got the winner late on, but it kind of annoyed me because I was kind of hoping for penalties when it was one all with just like a couple of minutes to go in extra time. Love penalties. Zinchenko put them ahead. Forsberg level for Sweden. Both teams hit the woodwork in the second half. But Marcus Danielson's wild tackle earned him a red card in extra time. And it's funny, on Twitter, everyone that I follow was saying, that's a clear red, obvious red, straight red. And there's this one guy I'm friends with, a guy called Emil, Swedish guy, who just said in the group, unfortunate tackle, but not a red card for me. And I was just like, well, everyone in the world is saying that's a red card. What did you guys make of it? Definitely a red card. Um, It was reckless. It was... It was one of those tackles that you kind of saw real time. And like, I think there was quite a similar one in the first half with Calvin Phillips. Um, maybe it was on Goretzka or Muller. I can't remember who it was on in the England game, but he bounced off the ball. And because of the bounce off the ball, it caused him to kind of fly into the shin. And you can say, okay, yeah, it's fair enough. But this one was just straight into the shin. No contact with the ball, nothing. And you have to say, yeah. It was definitely a red card for me. And you have to say to that as well, Sweden, they performed so, so, so well with 10 men. They almost got it to penalties. They tried their best to kind of eke it out because Sweden probably knew that with 10 men against 11, they weren't going to be able to beat Ukraine in a in in a straight shootout, pardon the pun, they, in in terms of an actual football match. So they were probably just playing for extra time. And unfortunately for them, they, they couldn't kind of eke it out. But it was, a, it was a great game. I actually thought this game was probably better than England versus Germany in a way because there was just so much action going on. There was, there was so many times that one side hit the post and the other side hit the post. There was a goal, there was a disallowed goal, there was, you know, there was all sorts going on. And it was just one of uh, one of the best games, maybe, so far in a strange way, in like a, a, in a tense way, rather than like a pure footballing sense. Well, I think that that's makes a lot of sense because these are two teams that are very, very even when you look at them. A lot of the other games we've seen in the last 16 have been much more varied. We had favourites, for example, like Italy against Austria, Italy firm favourites, Netherlands getting Czech Republic, Netherlands firm favourites, even though the Czech Republic ended up winning that one. Spain were, were favourites against Croatia, France were favourites against Switzerland, Switzerland won that one. So while we've had some amazing results, and we're going to get on to those Spain and France games after this, because we've got to talk about those. They were, they were two of the best games I've ever seen. But Sweden-Ukraine was one of the most balanced games in 
in this round in the last 16 and it was hard to say which team was better you know Sweden are better defensively Ukraine are more much more of an attacking threat and wow it, it was it was a really good game as Joe says I was I would have been happy with either team going through because I've, I've liked aspects of both teams during this tournament but I am happy for Andrew Shevchenko seems a good guy he's done a great job as Ukraine coach and we'll have to get Andrew Todos back on because we had him on to preview Ukraine before the tournament and I'd love to hear what he's got to say after this ahead of the England game I think you need to look at it and look at the third-place teams that have qualified. Three out of the four have got through to the quarterfinals, and the one you probably would have expected to, Portugal, haven't. So anyone who's been slagging off having this third-place teams progressing to the next round, I think should have a look at it. It's quite exciting for the tournament. It's interesting. You can take that in kind of two ways, can't you? On one hand, yeah, it is good that the, the teams that come third, you know, they are still fighting. As we saw, Portugal went on and won it last time in 2016. On the other, you can say, well, what's the whole point of the first round? Why even bother? Let everyone get through and then just go straight into knockouts. I don't know. We'll have to see. But on that note, all four teams from the group of death are dead. They're all out. France, Portugal, Germany and Hungary are all out of the competition. And after this break, we're going to hear about Spain and France in particular. We've partnered with them for the Euros to bring you a genuinely really good deal. You go to b52.com slash Euro2020 or use the code Euro2020 on the website and you get a free case of eight craft beers. You just pay the postage costs of $5.95, which is the cost of a pint and you get eight beers. It's the world's largest beer club, 178,000 active members. Each month, members are sent out a case with a different theme, including Belgium, Korean beers, Californian beers, and many more. It comes with a magazine and a tasty snack. And if you don't like dark beer, you can choose an option for just getting light beers in your pack. You can pause or cancel your subscription at any time. So just go to beer52.com slash Euro2020, use the code Euro2020, and just pay that 5 95 postage and packaging to get your set of eight beers. This offer only applies to people living in the UK. Yesterday was insane. With Even with perspective, even with time passing since yesterday, I can say that was genuinely one of the best days of football I've ever watched. And we're going to start with Switzerland beating France because Joe has been calling them the unlovable Swiss. But late on Monday night, he wrote an apology letter to them. And here it is. Dear Switzerland, I'm writing this letter to you from my hotel room with the score at 3-3 not quite knowing what I'm going to see. I called you unlovable. I thought you were a joke, pointless, and that it would all go up in smoke. How wrong I was. You made us laugh, you made us cry. You made us look up at the sky. Chaka doing bits, Shakiri with the big hits. All the itches up front, banging in the goals. And Babu on the rampage. Jan Sommer playing like a man half his age. Petkovic, your mum's new boyfriend, he's better than your dad. Even if you want to be with him, you just can't be mad. I take it all back, you lit up on Monday night, and whatever happens from here on in, I now think you're alright. You're sincerely, Joe Casanelli. Joe? I can't believe I wrote them off. Yeah. But they did it, didn't they? They went through, and you wrote that letter before they'd even won the game on penalties. You wrote that during extra time. Yeah, I wrote that. I wrote the letter during extra time, and you know, I felt I actually I felt not 
a tinge of sadness, but also a tinge of gladness when I was writing it because it was one of those of, you know, I mean, still rhyming, still, still getting on there, but oh my God, who thought that Switzerland had that in their locker? I mean, evidently I didn't, given my, my, my predisposition towards them, but it was incredible. It was, it was, so having been at Croatia versus Spain and seeing a, uh, like a 5-3 game, I was just cycling home from Parken in, in Copenhagen to the hotel. I got home, it was 2-1. You know, Switzerland had missed a penalty, but uh, France had made it 2-1. Then I, got, I, I kind of tuned in and Pogba made it 3-1. I was like, oh, you know, here we go. France are kind of clicking into gear, doing what they do. And then, you know, Sferovic had that goal in. Gavranovic had a goal disallowed. And it was like, eh, maybe, maybe, maybe. We can just kind of keep on, keep on watching. By the way, that third goal was sensational. Like, the way he just danced past Kimpembe and smashed it in was sensational. And... Those bloody unlovable Swiss have become maybe the most lovable team in the tournament, and I'm I can only apologise. I can only apologise to all Swiss people. I can only apologise to the coach, the coaching staff, and the captain to just say, you know what, fair play. That's a comprehensive apology, and I think a, a well-earned one from the Swiss. I agree with you on that last goal from Gavranovic. I was just stunned as France's defence seemed to melt away, and I thought, this is some kind of joke. Like, how is he getting through here? Can't finish, though, can he? And then he did. So I was still doubting the Swiss, even as he took that shot. And then it went in, and I was like, wow, here we go then. And then I thought, well, that Spain game, as we'll, as we'll talk about later, I thought, well, Spain just banged in a couple more in extra time. I'm sure France will do the same, but they didn't. And it was a... Uh, Penalty shootout that settled it. Everyone scored until Kylian Mbappe missed that fifth penalty. And you kind of sensed that Mbappe was going to miss that, didn't you? As he stepped up to it, didn't look sure, took it very quickly. Didn't look calm and, and composed like some of the other penalty takers. Yeah, so I'd kind of like to touch on just uh, when Switzerland equalised, you sensed the momentum was with them. And then, you know... You think the momentum's with them, but then you look at the France team that they've got on the pitch, you think they're just so many, so many better players that they can just surely one of those guys can win it because like Pogba, Mbappe, you got Benzema, Griezmann obviously got substituted, but Charam came on, who's an amazing player as well. So you've got all those guys who are on the pitch, you're thinking, you know. Surely they should beat this this Switzerland team who are yeah, they're they're a good set of lads who play in the predominantly in the Bundesliga or the Premier League and you're kinda of thinking, you know, there's a good set of lads who play there, but you know and then all that kind of stuff happens and then you have to say maybe Swiss Germans are quite like the actual Germans when it comes down to taking penalties. I don't know if there's any, something in the blood or something in the water in that part of the world, but those penalties were ice cool. And 
I've I saw a couple of um, videos that were on social media from uh, from Ben Lifton, uh, the the penalty expert. Penalty or, expert. Yeah. Who said that Mbappe looks very nervous? He looked at the he looked at the referee twice before he took his penalty. Where sort of everyone else was just focused on the ball, focused on what they were going to do, and it was, I mean, unfortunate for Mbappe given he's this incredible talent, this incredible player. But bloody hell, if you could, you know, of of all the people to have missed. He's probably the the last person you would have expected. In when I when I saw Kim Pembe stepping up, put it this way, I saw Kim Pembe stepping up, and I thought, "What on earth is he doing?" Because I had no idea. First of all, I had no idea Kim Pembe's <laughs> left footed, let alone that he's going to take a penalty. So it was like <laughs> bloody hell, you know, Kim Pembe taking it, and he, uh, I thought he was going to like do one of those weird run ups where he steps to the other side and kicks it with his yeah, right foot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was just like, well, what's Kim Pembe doing? And he absolutely nails it top bins. And you're like, oh, Jesus. I was God. stunned by that Kim Pembe penalty. I genuinely thought he was going to miss. And then he went and did that. So, yeah, shocking. I, d- I didn't know, though, because Mbappe didn't have a good tournament. So, I obviously missed the start of France game. But I'd like to ask you guys about this question as well. So, I only found out... Today, so one day after the the fact that France have been eliminated from the tournament, that Clement Longley started for France. Not only Clement Longley, but that Deschamps lined up in the back five, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. Well, three or five, depending on how you call it. But yeah, because I had no idea about this. Because so I so so I got home after the Croatia game and thinking, bloody hell, my days were what a day. I'll go home and watch a nice easy game now. Little did I know. However, you know, Longley started in a back three or a back five, however you interpret it. So what the what the ruddy hell was going on with the with the France starting lineup? Well, I think he just wanted to match what Switzerland were up to with the wing backs. So he put three at the back and he had Rabiot out there and he had Pavard on the other side. And it was just a mistake. I think a mistake because France are a much better team on paper than Switzerland, so they should play their own way and, and control the game and not try and match up to your opponent. But also, to play Lengley was a mistake. We've, I, said, I, talk, I talked to Jonathan Johnson about this. We'll hear from him in a minute, the, the France expert. And I just thought, well, if you've seen Lengley at all this season playing for Barcelona, then you just wouldn't pick him and play him in a game of this magnitude. You wouldn't even put him in the squad. He's been atrocious for Barcelona. He's committed a lot of mistakes. He's been a bit unlucky at times, but still... I mean, if you're gonna, even if you're gonna play him, you could put him to left back, and then play four at the back and just keep your normal formation because that's at least he's got some versatility. He can play his left footed. He can play out there on the left hand side. They could have also played Kurt Zuma, who was on the bench. There's lots of other options. So it was just a, t- a bad pick to pick Lane Lay, and then he was of course at fault for the first goal from Seferovic. Just seemed to duck and, and almost like he was looking on the ground for something as the ball came in to jump up and head it. Instead of doing that, he just bent down and Seferovic headed it in. And I've got to apologise to in, in the topic of apologies, like you apologise to all of Switzerland. I don't have to do that. I haven't been as bad or critical about them as you have, Jay. But I do have to apologise to Seferovic because before this tournament started, I looked at the Switzerland squad and I was just like, well, God's sake, Seferovic never does anything. Like Mbolo, at least, I quite like, when I watch Mbolo, I'm, I'm quite like him. I think he does, you know, a lot of running, a lot of work. He's quite energetic. He's 
he's, he's not a bad player and he's, and he's still improving. But Seferovic, I'm just... Oh, came into the tournament thinking I'm bored of this guy he offers very little and then he went and scored two yesterday so fair play to him but yeah let's hear from Jonathan Johnson because he is the best placed person that I can think of to to give insight into France's defeat he was at the airport when I spoke to him so it was only a quick chat and there's a bit of noise here and there as you expect when you're on the move but it's always worth a listen to what he has to say Jonathan that was the shock of the tournament last night yeah, absolutely. Obviously, very disappointing <clears throat> from a French point of view. But you know, I think uh, you have to give credit to the Swiss as well for the way that they fought back, particularly 3 1 down. Uh, you know, obviously, there's going to be a lot of soul searching um, in the French camp the next couple of days. We've already seen a lot of speculation that the Netherlands are going to part company with Frank de Boer. Uh, and obviously, similar questions will be asked of France when you've got somebody like Zinedine Zidane, uh, you know, potentially available and very keen to take their job. You know, I think one of the big things to flag up from that French performance was the number of players who were actually questioning the system that they were playing and positioning uh, that they found themselves in on the pitch, uh, especially during the first half. And I don't think that bodes particularly well for Didier Deschamps moving forward. You know, obviously, there's going to be a lot of criticism coming to Kylian Mbappe's way. Some of it justified because, you know, I don't think that we can forget the way they can sort of perform and behave these last couple of weeks and the, the way that the performances on the pitch have suffered. Uh, you know, but he is very young, he's fantastically talented and I think he's somebody who allows back from, from what happened last night. But obviously, you know, there was so much confidence in France coming into this tournament and, you know, to see things unravel the way that they have uh, the last couple of weeks after that. Encouraging opening win over Germany, uh, you know, truly the game really possible. Do you think with an Mbappe, it was a case of, as we said before the tournament, the team's kind of working out a bit? I mean, he had chances against Germany, for example. And then yesterday, he missed a couple of good chances. He won from great place by the, the natives. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the big problems for him is he's absolutely naked uh, after a very difficult season uh, at club level with PSG. Uh, you know, I think he put a lot of pressure on some, some of his uh, comments in the stories of the tournament for France uh, as well as uh, Paul Pogba. So I think, you know, for Mbappe it was a combination of him being fatigued. Don't, don't forget that he was injured towards the end of the season as well. He kept him out of the, cha- uh, the second leg of the Champions League uh, clash with Manchester City uh, and also just put so much pressure on himself with, with you know, the, the situation in the build-up to the tournament. Karim Benzema, like you mentioned, he, he had a he had a very good last couple of games of the tournament. He had four goals in between his Portugal and Switzerland games. Surely he's he's there to stay now. I mean, I know he's 33. He's reaching the end phase of his career. But he's playing better than ever. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I know that. Sure, it's all come out and says that. So I don't think that Benzema's international future will be 
how it is with this. I think, if anything, uh, you know, the international future of somebody like De Gaulle and Shaw is now in that question, especially uh, as you have somebody like Zinedine Zidane available. Why do you think he played Clement Lenglet in that first half? Was it just to match up systems against the Swiss? It made no sense to me, having watched Lenglet all season for Barca play very badly. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, a very questionable decision. Uh, I think, you know, perhaps something Deschamps felt was a necessity based on the amount of injuries that they had coming into the game. But I, I also don't think you'd excuse as a coach, you know, of that experience, going with a system that the French, you know, have barely played. It's, you know, it's, it's baffling, really. It reminds me as someone who's covered uh, French football and PSG, you know, uh, for the best part of the last decade, uh, of when Laurent Blanc had that uh, meltdown in the Champions League against Manchester City and then ended up paying the price uh, with his job at the end of that season. Uh, you know, it's just a very uncharacteristic change of formation. Uh, you know, and I think uh, I've already mentioned, but it was quite telling the amount of players that sort of went to get into discussion with Deschamps during the first half uh, about their positioning on the pitch. Just lastly, as, as you're obviously about to take a flight, very busy. Prediction, Jonathan. World Cup France next year. Who's in charge? There's Champs or Zinazine Zidane? Uh, I'm going to be bold and I'm going to say either Zidane or a surprise candidate uh, a la Arsene Wenger. Oh, wow. That'd be absolutely fascinating. One of, one, of, one of the two. Joe, you were loving life yesterday, weren't you? It's at Croatia against Spain in Copenhagen. That was a wild affair. Bloody hell. Where do I start? It was... I. So after 10 minutes, I turned around and said to one of my colleagues, I reckon we're going to be in for penalties here, nil-nil. Because both sides are pretty atrocious, you know, to be honest with you. I didn't, I couldn't see any side scoring. And then Pedri decided to play a ball back from the halfway line to his goalkeeper, thinking there was no worries. And then the absolute proverbial hit the fan. And... <laughs> You know, the whole thing started. I mean, I think we have to say that, you know, Pedri is not at all to blame for this goal. It was Unai Simon's um, lack of control. And, you know, Rick, I know that you've said that in the past, Spain have got a massive goalkeeper problem. I agree, because David De Gea has never transformed the club form into his international form. Unai Simon is good, but he's probably not the best with his feet, as he illustrated uh, yesterday. And then the fact that Bobby Sanchez, who is Brighton's goalkeeper, who finished 17th in the Premier League, is the third-choice goalkeeper for Spain, probably speaks of the lack of depth that that position. Well, yeah, they have Kepa, Kepa Arizabala as well from, from Chelsea. Arizabalaga, sorry. You mean the world's most world's most expensive goalkeeper can't even get into the Spain squad, and he can't necessarily at times get onto the Chelsea bench. But that almost clicked Spain into gear yesterday. So that was it. Was like I'm not going to say it was a welcome moment because it was such a calamitous and horrible thing to happen. However, I do think that that moment made Spain think you know, shit, uh, without wanting to, you know, go into too much of a PG frame of mind that bloody hell, we need to react to this and we need to do something else and that actually help them click into gear. A bit like Manchester United last season. Well, I mean, Manchester United last season, uh, for those of you who 
who don't know or follow the Premier League, they seemed to go behind and then they started playing better. It, it always took them a long time to, they almost had to go one behind and then, then we actually start playing. And this Spain team, as I said, that's probably what happened. They, they needed a sort of a proverbial kick up the arse to, to, to get going. And then happy days, they, they almost pulled through, didn't they? But I guess the Croats had, had other plans. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, I don't know. I feel like Spain had chances before then because Pedri put another fantastic pass in and Coque managed to miss from about seven yards out with the goal gaping. It was a terrible miss. But then after that, it, yeah, it took the goal. It took a few minutes for Spain to react and after that they were, they were back on it and they really put a lot of pressure on for that equaliser with Pablo Sarabia was the guy who scored it. But there was like shot after shot coming in and getting blocked and it was a, a good passage of play. And then just well, more or less everything happened in that game. It was just a wild, wild, wild second half after Spain went 3-1 up. Luis Enrique decided to take off central defender. Who was it in the central defence? It was Eric Garcia, the new Barcelona player. It was Eric Garcia. Yeah, it was Eric Garcia. He decided to take Eric Garcia off and he brought Pau Torres on, which, to be fair, wasn't actually that bad a substitution because Pau Torres took the free kick that led to Ferran Torres, no relation, making it 3-1. <laughs> so it actually wasn't that bad a, that bad a decision. It was just that I think that Spain got maybe um, a like a, a bit of the France's. Like Spain made it 3-1, much like France made it 3-1 later in that night. And Spain probably thought, you know what, we've made it 3-1, we're going to be fine. I think that was probably the problem and they just eased off a little bit. And then, you know, Croatia, who, to be fair to them, you know, it, it's one, they're one of those nations who you think, you know, they're always going to do well, but they're actually a really small nation with with limited pool of resources. They're probably always punching above their weight. And the fact that they made it 3-3 was quite frankly remarkable when you consider the talent that Spain have got their their deposition and like the fact that Spain... We're against a Croatia team who were missing Perisic. Lovren was suspended as well, and I, not Lovren's biggest fan, as you may know, Rick. <laughs> however, well, yeah, he's still a big player. Perisic, who's one of the best players in the world, and Lovren, who's a self-declared one of the best defenders in the world. If you're missing those guys in this kind of game, you know you're gonna, admittedly, you know you're gonna suffer, and. I think that ultimately they paid the price of just not having the legs, not having the depth of pool. But having been at that game, I have to say that the team that won Spain, were they deserved to win, basically. It wasn't like Croatia were battering down the door. I think that Spain, the only time that Croatia created any chances were when Spain let them. That's the thing with Spain this whole tournament. They've actually been, when they're good, they've been very good. They just seem to have a switch that flips and they become very bad at moments and it allows opponents to score goals, all kinds of bizarre goals, as we saw with that first one from Unai Simon, that own goal from Pedri's pass. I think that in the end, you're right, Joe, quality told and the guy that made the difference was Alvaro Morata, the much maligned Alvaro Morata, who's suffered a lot of abuse. 
I think he's deserved a lot of the criticism that's come his way, not the abuse and the death threats and the messages about his family and stuff. That goes beyond the pale. But in terms of the game itself, he this time was Spain's hero. It was a great strike in extra time. Really well taken. One foot to the other, rifled it in. Yeah, so Murata is one of those strange cases, I think, in that he's one of those players who you say, he's missing, he's missing, he's missing, but at the same time, you've got to be in the... It, it, it sounds ridiculous to say it, but you've got to be in the position to miss those chances. And he was always, always there. He may have missed a few of them, but this goal was incredibly well taken. And you have to say that Luis Enrique, as a coach, always backed him, and I don't. And he's a really, really stubborn bloke. And I think that the, the relationship that those two have means that Morata is always going to play. And I think that he scored in this game might be the catalyst for him to go on and kick on and get another, you know, carry Spain, possibly even further than they may have thought they might have gotten this tournament. But I don't necessarily think it's like a redemption story for him because, you know, if you're a Juventus striker, you're an Atletico Madrid striker, a Real Madrid striker, you should be scoring goals at this level anyway. So the fact he's missed so many chances is maybe speaking less of him. There is a kind of pathetic element to this whole thing where ultimately him finally doing something that he should be doing all along is getting wildly praised for and it and it just feels a bit condescending in a way not not in a negative way or like kind of patronizing like yeah well done alvaro you finally did the thing that you've been picked ahead of loads of other very competent capable strikers you you've been picked ahead of them and you've finally done that thing so but 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 fair play to him he, he did score that goal big goal important goal well taken goal and strangely enough having advocated heavily for jerry moreno to play in his stead or alongside him especially even after watching the first 90 minutes of this Croatia game, in which I was enraged by Morata at times, some of his decision-making, some of his, his shooting. Now, now he scored that goal. I think, you're right, you have to capitalise on it. You probably do have to play Morata in the semi-finals against Switzerland, uh, sorry, quarter-finals against Switzerland. Not that Luis Enrique cares what I think. He's going to do it anyway. Like you say, Joe, he's just going to put Morata out there. And, that, and that'll be that, and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I completely agree. It's... It's it's really strange because Moreno is probably a better actual all round player for Spain. I don't know, like I mean, he's he was involved in more than thirty goal involvements last season, as you well know. So he's clearly not only a goal scorer. However, Morata is one of those guys who once he's got a bit of confidence. In a tournament, he could be the kind of guy who scores you the winner in the round of 16, the winner in the quarterfinals, the winner in the semifinals, gets you to the final. So I think that's what Spain need to look at. And he's the kind of guy you just need to help ride the crest of a wave. And he may not seem the maybe the most obvious candidate for that because he's kind of like a reserved shy guy. And I spoke to him after the game, and he just said he said to me, you know. I've I've played better games in my in my career before. However, what I need to do is just, I need to contribute for the whole team. I need to just do what the coach asked me to do, and ultimately he did that. He tried his best. He was there. He was 
he was always in the right position, even if he didn't score. And ultimately, he did score. So that's that's the that's the thing that Luis Enrique will take from from the whole thing is that Morassa did what he asked of him, and ultimately, when he needed the person in the right place at the right time to score a goal, Morassa was there. Listener, we've been here for you too, just in the same way Morata has been there for Luis Enrique. Thanks for listening tonight. That's the pod. Please follow on social media, share with your friends if you enjoyed it. Do try the crate of craft beer for free at beer52.com slash Euro2020. It would help us out and you get a free crate of beer. What's not to like? See you next time.